Our Father in heaven, <clears throat> I ask that you would join us here this evening, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would help us to understand your Holy Bible, that you would make it clear to us we don't deserve to have you as a teacher, but we need to have you as a teacher. And so I ask for this gift in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> the book of Hebrews contrasts two sets of sacrifices. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And we're looking at verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaks. The first better sacrifice in the Bible was that of Abel. And what was it about the sacrifice of Abel that was better than that of Cain? You know, Ellen White comments about the work of evangelists in her day. She talks about ministers whose labor was chiefly in explaining the prophetic. Ministers whose sermons were primarily doctrinal in nature. And she speaks about many of them as a class and says that the offering of their services was like the offering of Cain, Christless. What was better about the sacrifice of Abel was that his gift had in view the gift of Jesus. By keeping in his mind the sacrifice that Jesus would make, the offering that he was giving was made acceptable. There's so much there for me, for you. The good gifts that I give, the services I give to God. And you're there in Hebrews 11. Why don't you turn two pages to chapter 13. Chapter 13. And we're looking at verse 16. But to do good and to communicate... Forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. If you took the verse itself, you could think that God is well pleased whenever someone does good to someone else or any time someone is careful to share. But verse 16 is only half of a passage. Verse 15 is significant. The first two words say, what are the first two words? By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. When I put 15 and 16 together, I understand that when I do good, when I share, if I do it with Jesus, with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And if I'm doing it by him or through him, he wants to work through my lips. 
What is the sacrifice in verse 15? It's the sacrifice of praise to God continually. If I could even try to put these thoughts together more. You remember what Jesus said? It's not when you give a cup of water to someone that you receive a reward, but it's when you give a cup of water to someone in the name of Jesus. So much in the Bible is built around honoring the name of Jesus. I remember as a canvasser when I learned this principle, you can find this in Call Porter Ministry. Ellen White says that when you're at the door, if you will speak the name of Jesus with love and tenderness, the angels will draw near. They will soften and subdue hearts. You know the atmosphere is cha charmed, it's changed, and people remember what they never would have paid attention to before. How much we miss, how hollow our work is when our sacrifice is like that of Cain. And if we would bring our Savior into the work that we're doing for him, if we would do it with him, it would be acceptable to him like Abel's was acceptable. I think that when this session was planned, that the better sacrifice in mind was not the sacrifice of Abel. Turn with me in your Bibles to chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, we're looking at verse 23. <clears throat> the Bible says it was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. Probably you, you know that for some people, they can't understand how something in heaven would need to be purified. And for some people, this has been a perplexity about why Adventists would talk about the cleansing of a heavenly sanctuary. But do you see it's as clear as the day in Hebrews 9.23 that things in the heaven need to be cleansed? It says, it was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. On the Day of Atonement, and maybe it would be worthwhile for us to spend five minutes on the idea of atonement, did you all know that atonement happened on the day of Passover? That atonement happened at the Feast of Unleavened Bread and also at the Feast of Pentecost? That in the Bible, atonement happened any time a leper was cleansed, according to the Levitical laws. That any time a man would confess his sin, and a sacrifice was offered, the Bible indicates that that was an atonement. And more than that, if a man would sin unknowingly, when the sin would come to his mind, and he would make a sacrifice for that previously unknown sin, that was an atonement. In short, atonement happened all through the year of the Jews. It wasn't reserved for the Day of Atonement. But there was a special time of atonement. That idea shouldn't be difficult for us as Adventists. Friday is a special day for cleaning for us. But does that mean that it would be wrong to dust or clean or vacuum a spill on Monday? 
we clean whenever there's a need, but do we have a special time for cleaning? There is a special time for cleaning because there's a special time when the cleaning needs to be done. That's analogous to the idea of atonement. Atonement in the Bible doesn't mean sacrifice. Atonement means cleansing. And when you think Day of Atonement, I hope from now on, well, first I hope that you would study to see if this is true. But when you do your search and the idea of atonement, I hope that you would realize that you live in the great day of cleansing, a special time of cleaning when God is doing a work because a time is coming when the cleaning needs to be done. On the Day of Atonement, there were three types of atonement or cleansing that were done that didn't happen throughout the rest of the year. One of those was the atonement for unknown sins. I don't mean like I just mentioned a moment ago when I discover that I sinned yesterday and I confess it. Do you know when a man is obligated to confess his unknown sin? If you ever read Leviticus 4, you'll find great comfort there. You're obliged to confess an unknown sin when it comes to your mind. And if you've been surprised in the sin, when it's brought to your attention, that's when you're required to make it right. But you know, most people in the history of this earth have died with many unknown sins that never did come to their mind. And when in the Jewish symbols were those kind of unknown sins atoned for? It was on the Day of Atonement. That's mentioned here in Hebrews. It's even in Hebrews 9, where it says, for the errors of the people. That word errors comes from the Greek. It means ignorant acts. So that was one. On the Day of Atonement, there was the cleansing for unknown sins. Then there was the cleansing of the building itself, the altar and the, the house. Just thinking about that shows you that, that atonement can't be synonymous with forgiveness because buildings don't need forgiveness. Even a fungal-infested house needed an atonement in the book of Leviticus. But on the Day of Atonement, there was a cleansing of that sanctuary, and that represented what we can't demonstrate tonight, the cleaning up of the books of record. So that in heaven, from some records, the entire record is removed. I mean, the man's name is removed from the book of life. His sins are retained in a book of sins. And for others, their sins are blotted out, and their names are retained in the book of life. That's the cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary. Those are not the only two special cleansings. It's not the cleansing of unknown sins only and the cleansing of the sanctuary. The third type of cleansing that happened only in the Day of Atonement was the cleansing of the priest's family. Turn with me in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi. We're looking at chapter 3 and verse 3. Speaking of Jesus, it says, And he shall sit as a refiner 
and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. The Greek word, excuse me, the, the Hebrew word translated atone in the Old Testament is quite a number of times translated purge. This isn't the same word, but it's the same idea. He will purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. So what were the three types of atonement that were unique to that special day of cleansing? There were the cleansing for unknown sins. There was the cleansing of the sanctuary itself, the one mentioned in Daniel 8. And there was the cleansing of the priest's family, the one mentioned here in Malachi chapter 3. It's easy to say what it is that is better about the sacrifice of Jesus than the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Let's go back to Hebrews. It's mentioned there a number of times. Hebrews chapter 10, let's look at verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things. If we stop there, can you all just see this in your Bible, that an image is more real than a shadow? How many of you can see that when you look at the verse? An image is more real than a shadow. And if you will just consider that we were made in the image of God, you might understand why the Bible says while the Bible indicates in the Levitical laws that to do harm or to disrespect a stranger is taken as an offense to God himself, it indicates there because man has been made in the image of God. And it's a respect that we show to our Father in heaven when we treat each other with kindness. It says here, not the very image of the things, those can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance, again, made for sins every year. The logic of verses 1 through 3 works like this. God intended, God intended that the sanctuary service of the Israelites would represent the putting away of sin. If it had been the reality, there would have only been a need for one Jewish year. That's the logic of Hebrews 10, 1 through 3 that if the symbols had themselves been the real thing, that at the end of the year of services and the special day of cleansing, the process of cleansing would have been completed. The people would no longer have been sinners. There wouldn't have been a need to repeat the cycle. If we just think through the logic of Hebrews 10, 1 through 3, we'll understand what God wants to accomplish in the great day of cleansing the history of the world is not going to be repeated. And the sacrifice of Jesus is better than that of bulls and goats. In this respect, primarily, it works. What was it that the goats, the blood of goats was not able to do? 
It was not able to purify the people. What is it that the blood of Jesus is able to do? It's able to purify the people. I love the idea that we're talking about the sacrifice of Jesus while the Sabbath is coming on. Did you know there's a relation between the Sabbath and the sacrifice that Jesus made? Let's see if I can find the reference for you while I tell you what it says. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. It says, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. What is it that sanctifies me? It's the sacrifice of Jesus. You know, there are two types of sanctification. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but it's the way I think it through. There's the sanctification that is like when God said, the Sabbath is holy when he sanctified the Sabbath. That is, he set it apart for a holy purpose. The Sabbath is holy because God set it apart. That doesn't mean that tonight, when you go back to your room, that you will discipline your mind to think his thoughts, to speak about holy themes, to keep your mind in a devotional frame of mind. It doesn't mean that tomorrow you'll be careful to keep that day the way it was intended to be kept. It only means that you should do that. So that the Sabbath is holy in the sense that it's been set aside for holy purpose, but also I can defile it or I can keep it holy as it is. That's why the Sabbath was made a sign of sanctification. It's because the death of Jesus has sanctified me. It has set me apart for holy purpose. Whether or not I live in accordance with how I've been set apart, I have been set apart. Do you realize that it's the sacrifice of Jesus that makes the judgment so frightful? That's part of the same Hebrews 10. Look at Hebrews 10 in verse 26. The Bible says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more, what does it say? Sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation. Look at verse 28. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. How much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that saith, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. How I understand it is that if there had been no plan of redemption, if man would have been born into a hopeless case, he would have grown sick and old and died, and that would have been all there was to it. But the fact that Jesus gave his life in my place, 
put me under a second moral obligation to follow him and to treat that moral obligation lightly puts on me an entire burden of guilt that would not have been there if I did not have the chance to live eternally. Let me summarize what we've said so far and then we'll go forward. We live in a special day of cleansing. It's not that there was no one or no cleansing going on in the past. There's been cleansing going on at every stage of the plan of redemption. That was shown in the types. But there's a special time of cleansing because in the types, if they had been a reality, when that special time of cleansing was done, there would not have been a repetition. As it was, Paul proves that they could not have been doing anything real by the fact that the system was repeated year after year. Our next section will speak about how it is that the blood of Jesus cleanses us. But in this one, we've talked about that there are two better sacrifices in Hebrews. The better sacrifice of Jesus is better because it works. And the sacrifice of Abel is better because it's in view of the sacrifice of Jesus. In my own life, I want the sacrifice of Jesus to work. And the gifts that I offer, the good things that I do, the people I serve, the sacrifice of praise I give to him, I want to do by him. I want to mention Jesus. I want my thoughts to be of him. That is, I don't want my sacrifice to be like that of Cain. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation. Revelation chapter 7. We're looking at verse 14. Probably the most common question about the great multitude is whether or not they're the same as the 144,000. I'd like to suggest to you the most important question about the great multitude is how did they become white? I mean, how did their robes become clean? That question is better in this respect. It's answered. And the answer is in verse 14. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which have come out of great tribulation. And what does it say? They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. What I understand from this passage is that the fountain, the metaphor of the fountain of the blood of Jesus does not cleanse me without my cooperation. Can you see that plainly in the passage? What have this multitude, what have they done? Somehow they have used this blood to clean up their own robe. Turns me in your Bibles to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. First John 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, it says we have fellowship one with another. There is a relation to the day of cleansing 
and the church getting along. There is a relationship to the process of working with Jesus in this cleansing process and a reduction in the bickerings that cause us problems today. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The two verses together indicate the cooperation that is involved in the cleansing process. That is, Jesus is cleansing me in verse 9. The process, I'm being cleansed by him, by his blood, but I am the one washing my robe in Revelation chapter 7. I'm going to tell you plainly how I understand this works, and then we'll look at it. When I think about the blood of Jesus, really more when I think about the act of Jesus that led to the shedding of his blood, when I allow myself to consider the fact that he paid for my sins, I'm not really learning a new fact. I think I was taught that at a very young age. But it's only when I'm doing that 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 fact is changing me. How do I wash my robe in the blood of the Lamb? It's by considering by looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. It's by looking diligently that that sacrifice sanctifies my soul in the second way. The obligation was immediate. When he died for me, I was obliged to obey him. But the process involves the cooperation of my mind. This has helped me so much to read the Old Testament. I mean, it helps me understand why God can say in two places that he doesn't even like the blood of bulls and goats. That sacrifice is displeasing to him. It's easy to see that when he says that not even a sparrow falls without his notice. He did not like the sacrificial system that he established. It had to be very displeasing to him in this respect. God hates the suffering of his creatures. Yet, it represented the suffering of Jesus. And it wasn't sufficient for it to happen once in the history of the year, or once in the history of an individual, or once in the history of a nation, because it wasn't the fact of the sacrifice that was the issue. To change the Israelites, you understand, the sacrificial system was symbolic, but the salvation of the Jews had to be for real. Do you understand what I just said? It, they weren't symbolic people with symbolic souls. <laughs> and for those people to get to heaven, they had to be thinking about Jesus, not just occasionally. It required a continuous, a rep repetitious 
a system that lasted throughout their life for it to accomplish the work that God intended for it to accomplish. So that system has been obliterated. The New Testament has been written. And it said that we ought to be considering the very same thing as often as they. And the sacrifice of Jesus has become to us what the sacrifices of goats were to them. Such an unthought of thing as to be ineffectual in changing us in our heart experience. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter, chapter 1. First Peter, chapter 1, and we're looking at verse 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver and gold, from your vain conversation, that's way of living, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Notice in this passage what it is that we are redeemed from. What are we redeemed from in this passage? You know it's a way of living. It's not just the guilt, it's the life. What is it that's better about the sacrifice of Jesus? It's that it works. But what was it that we learned from the logic of Hebrews 10? It works to purify the life. When you read in Revelation 7 about these people who washed their robes, listen. Do you understand the metaphor? They weren't making the character of Jesus more clean. Do you follow what I'm saying? They were cleaning their own character by applying the precious blood of their Savior. Turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, we're looking at verse 12. Put on, as the chosen of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man has a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. The word perfection is used repeatedly through the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews indicates, you know, you have Hebrews 11, all those beautiful men and women of faith. And then near the end it says, but God has reserved something better for us, that they without us should not be made 
perfect. The Bible indicates in the book of Hebrews that Jesus has perfected forever those that are being sanctified. But it doesn't mean that they were perfected even before they were sanctified. It means that what was done at the cross has accomplished the means of the complete purification of those people. It is incredible, the provision that was made. We talked in one of the sessions today, one of the breakout sessions, about perfection. This way. The perfection of Lucifer failed in heaven. The perfection of the angels that fell did not keep them faithful. The perfection of Adam and Eve failed to maintain their holiness. If you, brothers and sisters, perfect Christian character, that will not keep you from sinning during the time of trouble. Perfection never kept anyone from sinning. It's the blood of Jesus that keeps men and even holy angels from sinning. Ellen White describes how forever the angels will ascribe glory to Jesus, not just for saving me, but for saving them from a fall. It's by considering of the sacrifice made that they are maintained in that experience that they must maintain for eternity. I want to say just one more thought and then review and close. There are several types of eloquence. There are some that can be cultivated in schools where you learn how to speak up front. I've never had any training of that type. There's maybe a type that you could learn by experience. But there is a type that comes entirely from the content of what you're saying. And it's that type of eloquence that is available to any true Christian. If you will speak in whatever stammering words you know, something about what your Savior has done for you, you will be eloquent. Eloquent meaning that your words will have power more than the other words that are heard. Angels know that. And it's a sad marvel to them how little eloquence is demonstrated among us. The summary of what we said is that Jesus has offered a better sacrifice. It's better than the blood of bulls and goats. Don't despise the blood of the bulls and the goats. The very system was designed by Jesus at great cost to himself. He hated to see it, but it was the cost of saving people. It didn't save nearly as many as it could have. But to save one of them even required that their attention be focused, that repeatedly they'd be thinking about the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Nothing has changed in that respect. They were real people and we are real people. The sacrifice for them was far in the future, and for us, it's far in the past. 
They saw it by the sacrifice of bulls and goats. We see it in our mind's eye by considering what was done for us. If we will give that sacrifice the attention that it deserves, it will purify us. It will cleanse us in this day of cleansing. If it has our attention, it will come out of our mouth, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And when it does, the gifts that we give him will no longer be like the sacrifice of Cain. We can also give a better sacrifice. That's one that gives honor to Jesus. Again, if you're able, let's kneel for a prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are not worthy to speak of Jesus, but you've asked us to. I want to thank you for the sacrifice that can cleanse us from all sin. And I ask that you will pardon us for the hard-heartedness that we have that is the result of giving so little attention to what you've done. I'm asking on this holy day, we welcome its delightful hours and ask that you would bring to our minds that sacrifice that has sanctified us as you have sanctified the day. I claim the promise of Hebrews 12 that you will finish the work you've started in us. And I ask for this gift in the name of Jesus. Amen.